Man, y'all know the face, y'all know the name. Y'all tune into the world's with this podcast, Talk Ain't Cheap Podcast. Also by yours truly, Mr. It's a movie, please, for a talk. And I got a special guest here with me. As you know, I do not introduce my guests. I feel like I should change them when I do so. So special guests, please introduce yourself. <laughs> it's Shannon Richardson. Okay, okay, my brother. Nice to meet you. Nice <laughs> to see you. I said nice to meet you. Like, I ain't know you for at least 20 years now. <laughs> so, Shannon, if people need to know who you are, who are you? What do you do? Why are we here today? So, half of Staten Island probably knows me as the Black Lacrosse player. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I grew out of that now. You know, now I'm in real estate. I moved across the country, which I don't think many people know that part. Um but yeah, I guess Black Shannon because I'm the only Black lacrosse player named Shannon. Nah, that's a fact. So let's <laughs> let's start there because, like you said, you are probably one of the first, if not one of, the, if not the first Black person I ever met that played lacrosse. Um, especially because when we when you started playing lacrosse, nobody was playing lacrosse. Like lacrosse is still new on Staten Island. They didn't have lacrosse fields yet. Um, how did you even get into lacrosse? So growing up, I played football for the Hurricanes. And when I went to Newark, I don't I don't remember why I didn't end up playing football. Um, but then my dad was pretty much like, you're not not playing a sport in high school. And lacrosse is a spring sport. So my freshman year was coming to an end. So he was like, all right, look, just try this sport. And if you like it, we'll stick with it. If not, we'll, you know, try something else. And then I ended up falling in love with lacrosse. So what makes a good lacrosse player a good lacrosse player? That's a tough question. Uh, see, lacrosse is one of those sports where it's like a fusion of all different sports. So I guess it would break it down by position. So like obviously a goalie wouldn't need the same attributes as the attackman or the midfielder have. Um, one thing that was beneficial with me is I was more athletic than everybody else. So um, there was some kids I was playing with that's been playing since they were younger um, in middle school which is kind of weird for us because we haven't even heard of it until at the end of high school, but they've been playing since they were like 10 years old. So just catching up to that kind of uh, talent, I think my being athletic helped a lot with that. Um, but just to make a good lacrosse play, I'll say just, you know, sticking with it and understanding the game, kind of like everything. Okay, no, definitely. And you actually got an opportunity to play uh, lacrosse in college as well, right? Yeah, so it's funny. I was actually the first uh, African-American to get a scholarship full across in New York City. Um, and I went to West Virginia um, to play lacrosse at a D2 school. Wow, that's big. The first black African-American person to receive a lacrosse scholarship in New York City history. That's big. I think we got to put that on the shirt. <laughs> we got to put that on the shirt. So what was lacrosse like in college for you? Um. It was fun. It definitely made the experience a lot better. Um, it helped me just go straight into college, meeting a group of people, which I don't think happens for many people, especially with that new transition. Um, and going so far away, because it was a seven-hour drive. Um, at that time, I thought it would never be the furthest I'll go, but <laughs> clearly not. Um, but yeah, just being able to just go day one, just meeting a group of people that... Uh, I was rooming with and just being able to just go through my college career with was definitely, it made everything easier. Most definitely. So after college, did you have an opportunity to play professional lacrosse or was that not a thing yet? Um, I, I think it was a thing. Um, I didn't have a chance to go, um, nor did I ever try out. 
Um, but I believe it there was a professional league at that time. I know at that time though they were only getting paid like thirty thousand, forty thousand. Um, so it wasn't like other professional athletes. So a lot of them have side jobs or do training. Um, so it wasn't the glamorous, you know, pro athlete lifestyle as people could imagine. Um, but now they have a league that is kind of like that where they are lacrosse players and they can make a living off of being a lacrosse player. So it definitely evolved since I graduated. Do you miss the sport? Do you still play or is it something that you kind of just look at as a distant memory? Um, I play pickup leagues, um, but I do coach a high school team out here. We actually won the state championship this year. Wow, um, congrats. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm still involved in the sport as much as I could be. So I just try to give back as much as I can. Most definitely. So outside of being a lacrosse player, you also had a comedy sketch group <laughs> or a comedy sketch <laughs> business. When did that happen and what forced, what, what, what basically created that opportunity for that to happen? So that happened right after I got out of college. Um, so <laughs> it's funny because once I graduated, um, I just wanted to be just a marketer and just market anything I can, however I can market it. And then me and Andrew were sitting down one day, my friend Andrew, and we were just sitting down thinking like, what can get us the most popularity? And then at that time, I believe Vine was kind of slowing up. That's when comedy skits were kind of um, just getting more popular, I guess I should say. So we was like, we might as well jump on this trend. And we just thought about it. We sat in the kitchen for a few hours, brainstormed how to execute it, and just did it. So what made you want to chase popularity? Like, what, what, what? I know you say marketing, but what about popularity was important that you saw that you felt that you needed a part of? So I thought popularity comes with more money, which mm. is, I can tell you, is not the case. Because we have two <laughs> viral videos and not see a penny <laughs> off of it. <laughs> so we just equated, like, if we could get in front of the most eyeballs, then we'll make the most amount of money. Okay, so the goal is always chasing the back. Yes. Okay, so this was after college, I'm assuming, when you came yes, back home. right after okay. I graduated. Okay, so you graduated from college, you came back home, started this company, and you made a couple of viral videos, you accomplished a lot of different things with it. When did you realize that this was just not enough for what you wanted to do in life? Like, when did you realize it was time to pivot out of that space? Um, When we were spending a lot more money than we were making. We realized that we're definitely in the wrong path for the end goal. Um, it was a great short-term goal because, you know, a lot of people started reaching out to us about it. Uh, we actually ended up building a team full of writers and actors. So we became kind of like a little director group, I guess you can say, um, which is crazy to think about it now. Uh, in the moment, you're just doing it. So you don't really know like, wow, this is really getting crazy. And so you sit back and think about the memories like wow we really did that um but so yeah i realized that it was time to pivot once <laughs> the money going out wasn't equating the amount coming in and at that time also we was also doing uh fitness videos um which wasn't as popular so we was doing both at the same time and then from there we pivoted and started the marketing company what's one thing you learned during that period of time from starting that company? 
you could easily put yourself in a position of authority if you just have a clear path, if you just have a goal or a clear path for people to follow, you can easily become the authority. Mm. I love that. I love that. That's a great point. So after the videos and the and the company and the com- comedy sketches slowed up, what was the next move for you? Did you start another company or did you go back to school or what was the specific next step that you felt that you had to make to get to where you wanted to get to? So the next step that we made, not necessarily the next one to get to our end goal, because, you know, the end goal was to be rich, which is still the end goal, but we didn't know the clear path. So we're just trying everything and whatever sticks. Um, so the next path they went to was creating a digital marketing company, um, which it was going really well. Um, I ended up um, sliding off and creating an online business, um, actually a baby clothes business. And Andrew, he stuck with the digital marketing. So that's kind of where we split. Um, but both our business was doing really well. So why baby clothes? Uh, <laughs> it's funny because um, this is when e-commerce was getting popular. And everybody was talking about big ticket items or just, you know, items that people like to use. And my initial idea was actually toothbrushes. So I'm like, everybody needs a toothbrush. Mm -hmm. And then I forgot who I was talking to one day. And it was like, you know, how much you got to make over toothbrush? 50 cents. You could just sell clothes and make more. But then everybody was doing like women's fashion. Everybody was doing men's fashion. So if you look at all the, I guess, the fashion brands on Staten Island right now, Mm -hmm. all of them are streetwear for either men or women. So I'm like, nobody's doing baby clothes. And maybe because I never had a kid or I never really looked into it. But to me, it was such an untapped market that I was like, I could just do this. So what? So how did the business of baby clothes go? Like, what did you have to learn in order to be successful in being a baby clothes distributor? <laughs> Expert. Um, I don't think I really had to learn anything about, I guess, babies as weird as that sounds um it was just about marketing so as long as you have nice clothes and you have good customer service and good marketing you combine those three and you can pretty much build any brand you want um so yeah i just made sure that all the clothes would actually they look nice um whenever somebody anytime they wanted a refund on something i always gave it to them i always treated people i reached out to every customer that ordered saying thank you so much Here's a discount code, make them order more. Um, and I think one thing that helped us too, um, and this is a you know a tip for anybody who wants to get to baby fashion. I think every parent, well, one thing I learned then was I, I'm a strong believer that every parent wants their baby to be popular. Um, so kind of like us in the comedy skits, they want them to be famous. So what, what we did was we created a brand rep and whoever purchased became a brand rep. And that allowed us to, post them on our Instagram and then they'll buy more clothes so we could keep posting them on the Instagram and then parents would always repost it and repost our brand. So next thing you know, we were spreading like wildfire. What was the most profitable month, profitable month you did as a baby clothes expert distributor? I would have to go back in my, my records. I have no idea. Okay. Um, I would say a few grand for sure. I have no idea. That's still pretty good, though, considering you're selling baby clothes. Like, 
how expensive, yes. you know, like how how many people are really selling baby clothes at a high level to make sure they even making that type of money. So that's really, that's really a good sign. So at what point did you realize the baby clothes wasn't going to get you to the point that you <laughs> wanted to be rich? So I realized that when I was just talking to people and then everybody was just like, oh, when are you going to get into real estate? I'm kept saying, I had the same response. Why would I do that? And they would always say the most millionaires are made in real estate. So it's going to be a natural transition as a business owner to get into real estate. And I'm like, huh. And then after the third or fourth person told me that, I was like, let me see how much I can sell my company for. And I decided to sell it and just get into real estate. So Which, now, you, you know, looking. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. So now looking back on it, I wish I would have held it longer and used the profits to get into real estate. Um, but me being me it's just whatever i want to do something i just burn everything go to the next um opportunity so now that you're in real estate or what like so now that you got into real estate how did you get into real estate and what were some of the things that you needed to learn to be good at what you do in real estate so um a lot um so how did i get into real estate it's funny because when i sold the baby clothes business the person and I sold it too. It was a large company. And I was just acquiring a whole bunch of businesses. And they are, I guess their sales rep, he was a mentor in real estate. So he was my first introductory to it. Because when I was talking to him, he was asking me, what's my next steps? And I told him, like, you know, I'm looking to get into real estate. He said, oh, I'm actually a mentor. So I connected with him and he's introduced me to it. Um, what do you need to know to get good at real estate? <laughs> That's a pretty open-ended question um, because a lot of people always ask me, you know, I want to get into it. How do I get into it? Um, a lot of people don't realize real estate is such a, a broad term, um, especially now with Airbnbs, rental flips. And besides that, you have wholesaling, you have being a real estate agent, um, you could be a mortgage lender. So there's so many different assets of facets of real estate. And a lot of people don't seem to realize that when they say they want to get into it. So, so let's 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 take a step back then. What kind of real estate are you into currently? I'm wholesaling. Okay, and for the person who may not know what wholesaling is, what exactly is wholesaling? So, wholesaling is when you get a property under contract to purchase, and you sell off the contract. So, a lot of people misinterpret this because they think you're selling houses to an investor, um, but you're literally just selling a piece of paper. So I would go get the client to sign this paper. That's funny. This is a real contract that I have. So I would have them sign this piece of paper. And then once this paper is into the escrow company, I will look for an investor who's willing to pay more than I promised the seller and have him take over my position as the buyer in order to close on it on my behalf and pay me in order to close on it. So why did you choose this form of real estate versus the other forms of real estate? So when I first got into real estate, um, I got a rental, a four unit building. And my plan was just to, you know, save up money and then just keep building rentals that way. And as I quickly realized, <laughs> you know, contrary to popular belief, you do need money to <laughs> get do some form of real estate. Um, so. I was just thinking, what's the easy, no, the fastest way, I guess is a better word. What's the fastest way to get into it? Um, and that's why I was just doing research. And my friend in Ohio actually does this at a very high level. And I just had him mentor me. 
Um, I paid him and he taught me. I knew I could do it out here, especially since it's not such a demanding market. Um, I just jumped into it. And when you say out here, where exactly is out here for those who may not know? (laughs) Albuquerque, Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is actually, you know, still in the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) So what made you want to move to Albuquerque, New Mexico to pursue this real estate dream? (laughs) So (laughs) that's an even crazier story. Uh, So I was teaching while I was back in New York, while I was a para back in New York. And um, I, I was trying to get a house upstate in Albany. That didn't work. And I tried to get a house in Jersey and that didn't work because uh, I didn't qualify because of my um, my income. So I was just thinking to myself one day, I'm like, why am I boxing myself in to driving distance around you know, New York City when I could literally move anywhere I want? Especially, you know, being in education, being a black male in education, we're needed all over the country. So I was just, you know, thinking, saying back one day, I was like, I wonder if I just apply to different places, can I just use that higher letter in order to get a property in that area? So one day I just went on Indeed, I applied a whole bunch of different places and as places were applying back to me, before I even emailed them back about the job, I would just Google the real estate market, look up the cash flow, see how much houses are selling for. And I knew kind of what I qualified for here. Um, So I was just taking the same metrics and then using it out there to see what type of loans. And then out of everything that I reached out, everybody that reached out to me, Albuquerque just had the best cash flow. So you say you have a four unit property in Albuquerque, New Mexico, as your first property. What was the mm-hmm. process like to get that property and how much money did you have to have saved up to do so? So the property here, so the process you have to um, get qualified for a loan. Um, and, you know, there's a bunch of qualifications that go into that. And once you get qualified for the loan, then they tell you how much you are pre-approved for, well, how much you are approved for. Um, and then you take that approval letter and you reach out to real estate agents in that area, wherever area you want to go to. Um, and you tell them, look, I have a qualification letter for, you know, 300000 I would like to buy a house. They'll ask you what kind of houses you want to buy. You tell them and they'll switch you on an email drip and you just look through all the uh properties that they send you. Um, you can also go to Zillow, Realtor, Redfin now. A lot of people just do it on their own. Um, but if you're working a full-time job, you don't have time to look at everything. Obviously, you take the Realtor route um, and you just look through what they send you. And if you like something, you put an offer on it. If they accept it, then you have a house. Okay, awesome. And how expensive was your first rental property? Because you got a fourplex like that must have not been super cheap to your kid. <laughs> uh, see, that's another thing about leaving New York City. Um, you know, I'll say the price. It was 200000 For a fourplex? For a four unit out here. That's crazy. <laughs> that's what I'll say. Leaving New York City is hack number one for sure. That's crazy. And that's crazy. And was and and what when you got this property, was it during COVID? Like was the interest rate super low? Like how did you like yeah, what, what, um, what what roles what what things played a role in this? So it, it probably was a panic sell. Um, but still the going rate for those was two thirty. So it's not like I got it, you know, fifty percent off. Um, this was still a cash flowing unit, all of them were rented out, all the units were newly updated. So 
you know, this was a good pickup and it was in the beginning of COVID. Um, I think COVID hit, I want to say like March 15th ish. Um, I had the property under contract March 30th. Um, so it could have very well been a panic sell. Um, but it's not like I got a major discount for what it's worth. And in that first unit property and that first property that you get, what are some things that you learned during that process of being a landlord? Because you went from being a para teaching <laughs> to landlord of a four unit property in less than a fucking year. Excuse my language. <laughs> no, you good. Um, so I had a property manager and that, that's one thing I knew even before. So that's another thing. I guess I should throw that in. If you want to get a rental property, make sure you vet property managers. So I spent, you know, three days calling every property manager in Albuquerque. And I was listening to a podcast and they tell you, like in the podcast, they was talking about difference between good property managers and bad property managers. So I created a list of questions. I called everybody, asked the questions. Whenever they got one question wrong, I just hung up. So after like calling seven different people, <laughs> he was the only one I got all the questions right. So I just ended up going with him. Um, but to go back to your question, it wasn't a big transition for me because he handled everything and he kind of told me what to expect going there. Um, it was shocking how when they say tenants could ruin your property, I seen that firsthand. Um, I do have a lot of horror stories that luckily I never had to handle personally, but, um, yeah, the transition wasn't that bad because he handles everything. Why did you go to property manager up? That wasn't managing that myself, especially because I knew nothing about it. Um, and I want I want passive income. So I think if I was to uh, manage it myself, then I'll be the opposite of passive, especially when I have a learning curve on top of having to manage people. So I'll give 10 percent all day just for him to handle everything. And I don't get a phone call besides when they put money in my account. Got it. So it's just the easiest, smarter way just to be able to live your life a more fruitful type of way. Yes, in my opinion. And it's 10% a year or 10% per month? 10% a month of the rents that they collect. Okay. So if they don't collect any rent, then they don't get paid. So they incentivize collect rent and then um, they are paid off of how much they produce. So it's like paying somebody a commission. You can never go wrong with that. Okay. Okay. All right. So now at this point, you are full-time in your company, um, which is right behind you, as we see. Uh, yeah, well, no, no, I was actually still teaching. Oh, you're still teaching? You're still teaching at that time? Yeah. So I, it's funny because I actually wasn't even going to stay in Albuquerque. That's the funniest part. So uh, I had a higher letter and I knew just from all the mentorship, once you have a higher letter, and a year of experience or whatever field that higher letters in, then you could get qualified. So that's a hack. So to get qualified for a mortgage, you have to have two years of income. Or you can have one year of income and then get a higher letter from your job promising that you'll be there for the second year. And so that's what I did. I flew out here. Um, I, I Yeah, I actually flew out here. I wasn't leaving until I got a higher letter. So I told them the day of the interview, I said, hey, you know, I really want to make sure this is secure before I go back. So I get on an airplane on Sunday. Um, I would like for you. Yeah, because my, I believe my interview is Thursday and I'm staying a few extra days so I can explore the city. So I said, I'm leaving the airplane on Sunday. 
So if you guys have a decision, can I get my hire letter by Friday? That's why I'm more comfortable flying back home. And then Friday, they called me, got picked up the hire letter. As soon as I got it, I scanned it, sent it into my mortgage officer. Boom, they approved me. So I got pre-approved. I actually flew out. I ended up moving out here um, in May of 2020. So I had the house in March. So I was already uh, in April. I'm sorry. I went on the contract in March. I closed in April. I moved down here in May. And then uh, my idea was just to stay for May, June, and July, spend the summer out here, and then go back to New York and just have a cash flowing rental here with the property manager taking care of it. And then um, school starts early out here. So July we started, and we was all online because of COVID. So I'm like, what's the point of going back if I'm just getting paid here to do nothing? Because I was a PE teacher and we was doing online classes. So you can imagine how easy that was. So, um, and when August came, they started making us go back to the classrooms. And at that point I was on the fence saying, you know, should I go back? Uh, am I really like a teacher? And then, cause at that point I never taught. So I'm just, you know, <laughs> learning on the fly how to, you know, run a classroom, how to, um, create lesson plans, everything. And these were 40 class group, I mean, 40 student classes. So I was kind of nervous. And then after the third weekend, I'm like, oh, this is easy. And I just stayed. Wow. So what made you want to pivot out of teaching if things started to work out for you? Um, so <laughs> the first year I was teaching uh, from 2020 to 2021, and then from 2021 to 2022, I actually got promoted to run the whole PE department as well as uh, athletic director. So I was just in the office. I was pretty much running everything in my area, in my department. And then three teachers ended up getting in trouble and they all got fired. So they tried to put me back in the classroom. And at that point, maybe it was a little bit of ego. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, but I just didn't like the way they approached it um because it was like you're going back in the classroom and i was like what if we just move these people around this way i don't have to go back in they said no we already made the choice so me personally i felt like if it's my department and you're making choices for me then why am i even here mm -hmm. <laughs> and but yet when you need me to go do something that takes three hours of my day you're not going to go do it you want me to do it so i just felt like that was kind of being underappreciated um and on top of that, I was already getting into wholesaling at the time. So my logic behind it was I'm making more money outside the building than in the building. And I'm also getting disrespected in the building and spending 12 hours a day for people that don't even acknowledge my opinion. So I'm like, I don't have to be here. And that's why I just decided to leave and get into wholesaling full time. Okay. So now you're in wholesaling full time. What is, what is, so where are you and what is the process like for, to be a good wholesaler? Like, where are you doing now? And what is wholesaling like now in the, in the current climate? Um, so right now I am, it, wait, what do you mean? Like, where am I? So like, where are you in like your process? Albuquerque? Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, right now we are, everything's going really good. We have a nice flow of leads. We have a nice flow of, you know, selling deals. Um, everything's going smooth. I think we're at the next part, the next part of the business where we're trying to scale. Um, so we're looking to hire people, um, looking to take ourselves out the day to day. And 
I think it's just a process that needs to be built out, but it's definitely in a healthy step of the direction of business. So how did you start your business, uh, your wholesaling business and um, how, and, and what are your goals outside of scaling financially? What are some of your financial goals that you hope to accomplish with your wholesaling business? So <laughs> it's funny, this changes every month. Cause last month if you would have asked me, I would have said, you know, I want to make a certain amount monthly through the wholesaling revenue. Um, but now I'm starting to realize that's not even the case. Um, I think my end goal, you know, as of right now, if we have an interview later this year, it'll probably change. Um, but right now I want to buy the bigger unit buildings. Um, so like a 10 unit, 20 unit, 30 unit building. Cause I think that's, what's going to give me the financial freedom that I want. Um, as opposed to building out the company and still having to manage people. Cause at the end of the day, once you hire people, now you have to manage those people. And we all know managing people is harder than managing, you know, and customers. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, my next goal is to use the wholesaling company to make me more financially free by big, buying bigger unit buildings. Okay. Awesome. So in your wholesaling process, I recognize that you did a lot of reading to get to this point. What are some <laughs> books that you would recommend for people to read um, to be able to get really good in wholesaling? Hmm. Um, to get good in wholesaling. Okay. I'll say get good in business. Um, and just being a better entrepreneur. So I would definitely recommend rich dad, poor dad. Um, that's a given. I'm sure everybody read that before. If you haven't read that book alone, definitely is going to change your life. Um, honestly, <laughs> a new qualification for me for working with me, um, or even being in my mentorship, you have to read rich dad, poor dad. Um, so I highly recommend that book. Uh, Atomic Habits is a really good book. How to Win Friends and Influence People um, is a really good book, too. I think those would be my top three. Awesome. 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 Okay. So now, um, where are you at in terms of just being who you are? Like, how's your mental health? How is the process in terms of your mental health? What are your habits like? So, so for the first answer, my mental health, I guess my mental health is good. Um, maybe I'm just working so hard that I don't have time to consider if anything's wrong. Um, but I don't know, everything's going good. Um, my habits, I try to wake up early, get a good workout in. Um, sometimes I eat breakfast. I just started researching fasting um, like two weeks ago. So sometimes I fast in the morning, sometimes I eat. Um, depending on how I feel, how much of a rush I'm in. Um, and then I work, just make calls until like 3, 4 p.m. And then at 4 p.m., I go home, start winding down for the day, I guess. I still take calls. I guess at 4 o'clock, I just take calls, but I'm just not in the office. Um, and then I'll say by 8 o'clock, I'm winding down and get ready for the uh, bed. Okay, great. And in terms of like relationships, because, you know, we're young and family and all that stuff. How is that process going for you? Like being in Albuquerque, is there a lot of black people there? <laughs> um, No, you definitely know when you spot one. Wow. <laughs> How have everybody you been here in- is nice too. So it, it's, you know, there's a lot of Spanish people, as you can imagine, but even, you know, the... Every race here is not really like 
you know, I don't like the South Shore of Staten Island. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's politically correct, but I, I could be treated. I'm treated better here than I was back on that side. Mm-hmm. Now I feel that completely. And I'm just happy for you if I have to say anything, just because of just knowing how far you've come in just this process and just how far you want to take it. If people want to follow you, get connected with you, even join your mentorship, um, how can they do that? How can they go about doing so? Um, so they could reach out to me uh, on my Instagram, black underscore Shannon. Um, you can, I always have a business page, Triple Keys LLC. I believe it's connected to the Black Shannon account. So if you go there, you could just DM me. I'm always glad to share knowledge. Um, I do have a mentorship. Half the time I'm talking to people for free anyway. So <laughs> reach out to me. I'll give you my number and we can just hop on the phone. Awesome. 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 Is there anything that you feel that we need to discuss that we haven't discussed? Any questions you have for me? Anyway, I could be a resource or asset to you. Um, No, not, we spoke before and, you know, just definitely investment opportunities. Um, but we'll talk more about that definitely off air. Um, but no, thank you for everything. Thank you for having this podcast, just giving people a chance just to talk about their story. Most definitely. And last but not least, if you had to pay your favorite memory from moving to Albuquerque, what would you say your favorite memory is thus far? Learning how to golf. I never oh. thought in a million years, in a million years, I'll be, you know, chilling at country clubs and golfing. So <laughs> I think that's my favorite thing out here so far. I need to jump into golf. I wanted to learn how to golf in high school. I just didn't do it because I felt like the golf, the golf clubs were going to be super expensive. And at the time I didn't have them, <laughs> not knowing I could have probably thrifted a set of golf clubs and started. But um, yeah, no, that's one thing I, I say I want to do. I, everyone around me is golfing. I need to get into that mix. Yeah, now you should. It's definitely a great way to politic, too. Did Wagner have a golf team? Yes, they did. They had a really good really? golf team, too. Yeah, I wanted to do it. I Because I, <laughs> I, I was a triple triple athlete, a triathlete. I played football, basketball, I ran track. I probably would have done golfing, but I know golfing, I think, falls during football season. So that was the only reason that I didn't do it, but I really wanted to do that. Between that and just getting the golf clubs, those are the only, things, the only two things that stepped in the way. <laughs> I would have been a golf guy. Yeah. You know what's crazy? You guys didn't even have a lacrosse team. You guys had a golf team before you had a lacrosse team. Yep. (laughs) That's wild. We got a new field towards um, my my senior year. So the field came in 2012, but really was completed 2013, 2014. So that's when the field was completed. So I didn't even get a chance to um, do lacrosse. I probably would have played lacrosse my senior year if I would have had a chance. (laughs) Oh, yeah, y'all had that that old turf, the hard turf. The carpet. Like the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I never had to play there, honestly. Man, those carpet burns is crazy. <laughs> you can't even wear certain cleats on that joint. Yeah, you have to wear turf shoes or sneakers. Yep. <laughs> but thank you so much for everybody tuning into Talking Cheap Podcast. Like I said, you tuned into Talking Cheap, and you know the slogan, it's not that deep. It's a vibe. For those who enjoy Talking Cheap, follow the podcast at Talk and Cheap Network and powered by the Cletus Group and hosted by yours truly, Mr. Movie, Mr. Movie Cletus Road Talk. Thank you once again, Shannon, for just being who you are. If you want to tap in with it, Black underscore Shannon, Triple Keys is the business page. And like I said, you're tuning in Talking Cheap. It's not that deep. It's a vibe.